0: Hello, church. Uh, my name is Sam, and I'll be reading today's scripture. Today's scripture comes from Genesis 32:22 to 32. 22-32. Please follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. The night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had had. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was pulled, put out of the joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name but he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed them. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon them as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the reading of God's word.
1: Right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. For those that are new or visiting, my name is Jam, the lead pastor here, and I have the privilege to be able to share the Word of God with you, uh, but before, before we get into that, I just want to uh, uh, just kind of give a round of applause to everyone that helped out with Trunk retreat last week. It was a, a great event. I know a lot of effort and energy was put into that. Um, some, of, some of the trunks that you guys made were, it, it was nuts. That was, that was a lot of work. So. Um, yeah, congratulations to the trunk that won as well. I'm looking forward to hanging out with you guys. And uh, yeah, as we continue, um, one of the things that I found interesting uh, saw, saw on the internet was that the Declaration of Independence uh, gives every citizen of the United States the un- unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And um, again, I haven't done the extensive study, I only saw one video on this, but I believe that the United States is the only nation where the pursuit of happiness is uh, a right given to every citizen and uh, and because we are humans um, you know we 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 see this the the right to pursue happiness and we kind of transform it into the right to happiness so we believe that as citizens here in the United States that we have a right to be happy in our life and just even as human beings I think we believe that we have that right to to have happiness in our lives and uh, when it comes to uh, inevitable forces of life that that kind of bring suffering and struggles and trials and tribulation into our lives we begin to question Um, well what's what's the matter with us is it something that we did are we being punished for an act or a sin in our life or what is wrong with God why is it that he is bringing such disaster into our lives why is it that he is making life so miserable and so uncomfortable this is not fair and I think in our day and age uh, we have um, maybe lost the art of properly reacting or responding to difficult situations uh, we have become a little softer and we we don't know exactly what to do when difficulty arises whether it's relational whether it's financial whether it's it's our health and I think the more uh, as I get older I realize um, you know life gets complicated uh, things become difficult and suffering and difficulty is something that is inevitable it, it will occur in our lives and especially if we're followers of Jesus uh, then we have to take it a step further understand that sometimes uh, that god will use suffering for our good and for his glory even the idea that god would use suffering in our lives for our good and for our glory it might seem a little sadistic uh, and it becomes uh, kind of like question like "Well, why would god do such a thing uh, but i believe that this is something that is outside of, uh, of of our knowledge and that god in his sovereignty will use it for his glory and for our good um, you know I, I think even just in our day and age this idea of Kind of dealing and struggling with difficulties is something that uh, we are not really uh, kind of equipped to handle, you know, and, and I kind of wonder if I'm doing a disservice to my children by kind of raising them in a way where I'm removing as as much obstacles and hindrances in their lives. Are they going to grow up and and be able to actually handle and take care of themselves? You know, I remember growing, I mean, even just this whole idea of Halloween, like when I was growing up, I would never see adults trick-or-treating. It was just a bunch of kids running wild, and it was literally kind of like, you know, survival of the fittest, right? And and if there was a a house with just a, a, a... Uh, you know a bucket of candy out that's like first come first serve right like that whoever gets there first gets all the candy but now it's like you know you got to make sure you're you're crossing the street okay you know like you know I, I saw middle schoolers and they were still going out with their with their you know with their parents and I'm like man we've become so averse to risk and danger and suffering and struggles that perhaps we are doing a disservice to ourselves and our children about how to handle these things Now, as we look at all the different tragedies that is happening in the world, uh, wars and famine and and genocide and even the suffering that uh, we ourselves go through individually, I think it's very important for us to understand the purpose and theology of suffering. So for the next five weeks, we'll be looking at passages and stories uh, that deal with pain and suffering and see how God can use the difficulties in in, in our lives uh, to bring us closer to him. So our correct understanding of suffering and theology of of suffering uh, will allow us to have a correct attitude and response to the difficult situations in our lives, uh, which I think is very important in shaping us towards Christ-likeness. So today we're going to look at the life of Jacob, we're going to see how God uses pain, uh, turmoil, strife, and the struggle to really bring transformation into a man uh, whose default setting is just set to deception and selfishness. And we're going to see how god uses suffering to really reveal the beauty of his grace in the life of jacob so the first point is this that we all go through the struggles of life Uh, jacob suffers through the struggles of life as he experiences moral failure uh, family strife romantic drama and even a hostile work environment and you know and i oftentimes i think about the characters in the bible and i always think of them as spiritual heroes Uh, but upon closer inspection especially a lot in the old old testament we see that a lot of these characters are very flawed Uh, people with very real struggles and sin and 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 real shortcomings and the more you kind of look into it you see you find that they're very relatable characters you know so when i think about when i used to think about jacob i i I thought about you know he became israel right Uh, but the more you look at it um he's kind of um, a hard guy to like uh, if they were making a, a a movie or a TV series now on the story of Jacob, it would be very difficult to make him the protagonist. Uh, Esau is actually much more likable. you know he's the kind of like he's furry, you know like cuddly right he he likes hunting, he's kind of a good dude, you know, except he sells his birthright. Uh, Jacob is conniving he he's deceiving he's someone who is willing to uh, go through any links to get what he wants uh, and and here, God, we see really put him in situations and circumstances in life because he wants to transform this man jacob from a heel grabber and deceiver into someone who would be able to father the sons of the future of israel and so let's look at a little bit of of, of what is uh, what jacob has to go through in life and these are very relatable things that perhaps you are experiencing even in your current situation now but first we see that jacob is a man who longed To be loved by his father and would do anything to obtain that love that the that his older brother Esau had now uh, parents will say um, that they don't have favorites and in some ways it's true like you don't really have favorites but um, you might like a a, a child a little bit more than another right or you might relate to a child a little bit more than the other and and the Bible is very clear Genesis 25, 28 says that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So there was a clear uh, distinction between who Isaac really loved. Out of the twin boys, he really loved Esau. A- and he played favorites, and it was, it was, it was you know, well-known. And Jacob wanted everything. He would do anything to become the firstborn son, to have the love of his father, to the point where he sells stew for the birthright that Esau had. Now, I don't know about you guys, but um, I'm sure some of you have experienced uh, the pain of, of not feeling loved by your parents, or, or the pain of, of wanting love from a particular parent, and you always think that, oh, my sibling gets all the special treatment, right? Uh, and, and no matter which sibling you ask, they're always gonna feel like that the other one is favored, that it's not fair, and, and that feeling It doesn't go away once you leave home like it it can last even well into your adult adult life Uh, how do I know this I asked my brother and sister like what does it feel like Um, (laughs) because I'm the youngest I I just always felt loved you know like if you're the youngest you might feel that too but you know like we we always feel that right there there's a desire of of wanting and longing for the love of a parent that you feel like you've never had and then what do you start doing? You start relying upon your own achievement. You start relying upon your own talents. You start relying upon any means to actually and finally receive what you long for the most. So what does Jacob do? He resorts to deception. He, he sells a bowl of soup for the birthright that Esau had. Then later when, when, when he finds out, when, when Rebecca finds out that Isaac is going to formally bless Esau as the firstborn son <clears throat> She tells Jacob to to hurry like get get a goat kill it make a stew Pretend you're Esau because your dad Isaac. He, he's like blind. He won't be able to know He won't be able to tell go and, and receive the blessing in place of your son, uh, brother Esau And Jacob what is his response? He responds again in deception He responds in the way that he feels that it would be the only way to obtain the very thing that he wants and what does that cause it causes family strife to the point where his brother Esau says the moment my dad dies I'm gonna kill you and this isn't just like you know two little kids fighting over like the Nintendo controller or anything it's it's grown men and grown adults and Esau is plainly very very serious in saying because of what you have done to me in my life I am going to kill you that is a type of suffering that has entered into Jacob's life that is a type of a family drama and turmoil <clears throat> that is just wreaked into the very fiber of their family dynamics. And for those of you that have suffered through family dynamics and family struggles and drama, <clears throat> you know how stressful and how difficult and how burdensome that can be. And that's what Jacob is going through. And because of this, <clears throat> his mother wants Jacob to go to the uh, to his to her brother's land so that he does not marry a Gentile, and that's what he does. He goes to the, uh, the land of Laban, and there he sees the woman of his dreams. He sees the most beautiful woman he's ever laid eyes on. He sees Rebecca. And, and he falls in love with her and, 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 you know, she draws some water for him. And, and he's like showing off by removing the big, you know, uh, the lid on the well. And he's like showing that he's buff. And then he's like, I'm going to marry this woman. And he goes to Laban and he says, hey, Laban, like, I want to marry your daughter, Rebecca. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's have a feast, you know. And, and, and here's, here's the interesting thing, right? Just as Jacob tricked his father into blessing him by pretending that he was Esau, this is exactly what Laban does to him. Because it says, here you go, you can marry my daughter, Rebecca. And then it says, in the morning, he woke up, and it was Leah. See, Jacob, you know, Laban had two daughters, Leah and Rebecca. Rebecca is, I mean, Rachel. Rachel was was very beautiful. And the Bible, I'm not even making this up, the Bible says Leah was very ugly. Okay? Not in those words, but it just says she's very ugly. Okay? (laughs) So imagine Jacob so excited to marry the love of his life. He barely knew her. What does he know? But he's just like enamored by her beauty, right? He wakes up and he finds that he's lying next to the ugly sister. You know, like, that sucks, right? Just as he, but just as he was tricking his dad into receiving the blessing, here his father in law has tricked him into receiving Leah as his wife. Now, how does he respond to this? Think about it. Here is a man who fully understood and dealt with not feeling loved, feeling that there was a very partial uh, love given to his older brother. Now he has an opportunity to redeem this. Why why would God put him in this situation? Because he wants him to to see how he'll respond. But instead of responding in grace and saying, hey Leah, I'm I'm gonna love you because you are now my wife. What does he do? He shows absolute disdain towards her and only loves Rachel. And what does that cause? Just as he has caused sibling rivalry within his own home, he has now caused sibling rivalry within the home of Laban. Now, Rachel and Leah are in, at odds with one another. They are competing for his affection, just as Esau and, I, uh, and Jacob were. See, there, there's a pattern of these struggles that God places in the life of Jacob now moving forward now that as they're getting older uh, you know he's having a bunch of kids he has you know Rachel has a son Joseph and he feels that it's time to go back to to his homeland and he goes to Laban and says Laban I need to go back home and Laban's you know Laban's like he's a smart and shrewd dude too he's like I can't let this guy go because he's making me rich Jacob is prospering in his work everything that he touches is multiplying four or five fold to the point now where Laban's livestock has increased tremendously because of the work that Jacob is doing. And you would think that his career success would now solve all of his problems, but that's not the case at all. Because as he goes to his father-in-law Laban and says, Laban, let me go back home, Laban says, yeah, you can go, um, but you can only take the speckled and spotted sheep and goat. That was the wage that Jacob was gonna receive. And what does Laban do? He goes and takes all the spotted and speckled sheep and goat and gives it to his own sons so that Jacob would have nothing to take with him. Now, here's another opportunity where Jacob is able to respond in Christ-likeness and godliness, but instead, what does he do? He reverts back to his own deceiving ways. So he paints some brushes and then he lets the sheep and goat go through these brushes so that they all look spotted and speckled. And now he's basically ransacked all the livestock from Laban's livestock. And he's running away and going back to his hometown. Now every time I think about this story, I used to just kind of read along and be like, this is a very interesting you know, ter- turn of events, right? But there's patterns here that we, we see. God is continually adding into Jacob's life very common theme of of struggle and pain and turmoil and strife to see how will Jacob respond. How will he respond? And every single time, he responds in the very same way, in his own deception, in his own sin, in his own selfishness. Some of you might be experiencing difficult situations in your life as well. And one of the things that I think is very important, one of the things that I realize is very important for me um, is is figuring out, well, what is the pattern? Is there a certain pattern or a certain thing that triggers me? Is there a certain thing that continually happens in my life, whether it's relational, whether it's work-related, whether it's family-related? What is the theme that continually comes into my life? And what is it that God wants me to change in my response to that theme? Because for many years, whenever I had relational strife, whenever I had family strife, I always dealt with it the exact same way. And I just thought at once time, you know, over time, then things will be okay. But as I get older, I'm realizing, oh, that's not the healthiest thing to do. You know, that, that's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So now every time something difficult enters into my life, relationally, work-related, family-related, I ask myself, how do I normally respond to this situation and how can I tra- uh, change it so that I can respond in the way of Christ-likeness and godliness? Easier said than done. Easier said than done. But I think that's a very important question we need to ask ourselves. Now. One of the things that um, <clears throat> I think is very important, uh, there's a, uh, an author by the name of Elizabeth Elliott. Um, she is the, uh, uh, you know, widowed wife of Jim Elliott, who is a, a missionary. If you grew up in the church and you're a little older, you might have heard who, uh, this name before. Jim Elliott was a missionary. He, drew, uh, you know, flew planes in the Amazon, and in one of his ministry uh, events, you know, he flew the plane, and then the, the people that he was trying to evangelize to, they, they attacked him and threw spears at him, and he died. Um, there's a biography on him very excellent read you should definitely check uh, check it out Um, but elizabeth elliott in one of her books she wrote this god will not protect you from anything that will make you more like jesus god will not protect you from anything that will make you more like jesus because oftentimes in our lives we we struggle and we think why is god doing this to me or why is god adding this in my life or why is god putting me through this circumstance I think oftentimes we always react and think, I just want this to go away so that my life could go back to the way it was, to the peace and comfort that I've experienced. But that's not God's agenda. God desires to sanctify us, to make us more like him, to grow us in holiness. And oftentimes, he uses difficult situations. He uses suffering. He uses pain because he wants to make us more like him. He's not going to take it away from us just because we want Him to. He wants us to struggle and wrestle through it so that we can respond in a way that emulates His character and who He is. Now the reality is is that as human beings, as sinful people with shortcomings, our natural response is to go back to the way that we normally would react to things. Um, You know, that's just our default setting. You know, a crazy thing I saw, there's a thing called um, shape memory alloys. Okay, and basically, it, it, there's certain, you get a combination of certain metals, and then um, you, you make it into a shape, and no matter how much you deform it, if you apply a little bit of heat and pressure to it, it will revert back to the shape that it was. So a good example, that is a paper clip. I saw a video of a guy get a paper clip. He unfolds it, and then he puts it on a little bit of fire, and then it just goes back to his own shape. Even though we have become, um, if if we're followers of Jesus and we've we've given our lives to him and and we believe that we are a new creation, the moment we are put in difficult situations, our desire is to go back to our, our natural form. We need to fight that urge and to respond in a way that is like Christ to the difficult situations of our lives. Another reason why suffering and pain and turmoil enters into our lives is because God wants to show us his power in our weakness. God desires to show us his power in our weakness. Now, God wrestles Jacob to bring him to a point of weakness and surrender. Uh, God brings us to a, a place of absolute darkness to show us that he is our only hope. Now, as Jacob, in the passage that we read, as Jacob was alone and trembling in the dark, away from his loved ones, away from his family, completely filled with anxiety, um, and you would think that God would come and bring in comfort at this time, right? I mean, after all, God prays, I mean, Jacob prays to God, and as far as we know, this is the first place in, in the Old Testament where Jacob actually prays out to God because he is so distressed. You know, you would think that maybe he would send some angels and they would like, you know, kind of float down and be like, Jacob, everything will be okay, you know? And then Jacob's like, oh, yes, nice. But instead, God comes down and attacks him. Okay, God comes down and attacks him. Now, in some of your Bibles, actually most of your Bibles, the heading of this passage might say, Jacob wrestles God. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's not the case. Uh, God is never the, the object in Scripture. He is the subject. God is never the one where the action is being done to. He is the one doing the action. It is God who wrestles Jacob. Right. And, and so, you know, whenever you know, I used to read this passage and learn about this passage. It was always kind of taught in a way where it's like Jacob wrestles God, and Jacob is 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 gonna prevail in prayer, right? Like, don't ever let go of God until you get what you want. And so we were taught that hey, like, there's things that are happening in your life. Then you need to get down on your knees and pray and wrestle with God, and don't let him go until he finally answers your prayer. Right? So whether it's like uh, relational struggles or work strife or, or family things or, or you know, you know, whatever personal things you're going through, we, we think, oh, you know we're just going to get down our knees, we're going to keep praying, keep praying, keep praying until God finally gives us what we want. That sounds like you know, just prosperity gospel to me. Right? That, that sounds very uh, uh, where we see God as some kind of genie and we have to kind of you know, uh, arm bar him into submission so that we get what we want. You know? that, that's, not, that's not how God works. It is God who is wrestling with us right so when we really look into the story uh, we see Jacob what is his name he is the deceiver he is the heel grabber right at, at his birth he was grabbing onto the heel of his brother Esau because he wanted to come out first what kind of infant knows that right I mean that's crazy if you think about it right but that that's the type of personality Jacob is he will do anything he can to get what he wants And God has put into his life struggle and struggle and pain and turmoil after another because he wants Jacob to transform. He wants Jacob to change. But now here we are finally at the point where he is returning home. He sees his brother Esau and his men coming towards him. He thinks that Esau has come to destroy and kill him. So in his most distressed and anxious moment, he's laying there in the dark. And God comes and he wrestles him. Now, as God is wrestling Jacob, what he wants is Jacob's surrender. He, want J- he wants Jacob to acknowledge, I cannot do this on my own. I have met a, a, a being that is greater than I. Let me rely upon you. But it says that they were wrestling all night. Now, I, I just started jiu And so uh, if you guys ever grappled or wrestled in high school, like if you wrestle for like two minutes, it's the most tiring thing ever, Right? I can't imagine Jacob wrestling uh, somebody for an entire night. What that speaks to is not Jacob's strength, it speaks to Jacob's obstinate nature that he is unwilling to let go of himself and surrender his life to God. So all night he's wrestling him. And then as day is breaking, uh, this being says, Let go. He's like, I'm, I'm done with you. Let me go like you you are not changing right and, and Jacob would not let go so what does he do he just touches his thigh and dislocates his hip here is God showing and displaying his ultimate power he could have beat Jacob at any moment he could have overpowered him at any moment but he wrestled with Jacob because what God desires from us is not mindless robots that just you know follow after whatever he tells us to do what god is after is he wants to wrestle with us to transform us that we would come in our own to our own conclusion to surrender our lives to him in complete trust in him so he dislocates his hip and here now jacob powerless without any strength completely disabled i mean if you don't have your hip like how are you going to wrestle somebody but in his complete powerlessness In his weakness, he finally clings to God and acknowledges, you are the only one that can truly bless me. I cannot let you go until you bless me. And so Jacob finally receives the blessing of God, not through his deception, not through his intellect, but in his absolute weakness. So how does God bless him? He says, what is your name? By asking him his name, it's not like God doesn't know his name, it's like, dude, hey, I made a I made seven billion of you guys, I can't keep track of all your names. he's like, I want you to confess who you are. He says, I am Jacob, the deceiver, the heel grabber. He says, You will no longer be called Jacob, you will be called Israel. Now, here's the thing who has the right to name somebody? A parent parent, Some of you guys, if you guys are having kids or pregnant, you guys are probably going through like name apps and name books and thinking about like, oh, what should I name our kid? What should I name my daughter? I can't name her because it reminds me of this girl that I don't like. You know, like we we do all that, right? But here, here God says, I will name you Israel because just as you have always sought after the love of a father, here I am your heavenly father who will love you, who will care for you who will make sure that you return to your land and that you will have the blessing that I have guaranteed for you. It is in the darkest moment of Jacob's life that God reveals his love and grace to him. It is in the darkest moment where he is absolutely alone, not knowing exactly what to do, fearing for his life, that we see that God reveals the beauty of his grace. We have become so allergic to suffering and pain in life that we see difficult situations as things that to just get rid of, just things to solve. When sometimes, maybe a lot of times in our lives, God places those situations in our lives because he wants to transform us to become more like him and because he wants to reveal his love and grace in our lives. It is in the point of weakness where Jacob realizes this. Now, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I think I shared before uh, that, you know, I'm experiencing burnout, you know, and also, I, you know, I realize I'm probably going through a midlife crisis. So, you know, like, you know, you're kind of in that, you know, you, you know, I, I've, I've been reading a lot of articles and books on burnout and different ministries and, 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 and pastors, and, and one of the things that I found fascinating was that uh, the, the decade that is the most difficult for pastors is their 40s i'm like oh that kind of sucks you know because still got seven more years left in my 40s you know and and so for the last you know you know two two years i i've been kind of dealing internally with this idea of like wh- what am i feeling what is what am i going through right why is it that i feel this way why do i feel uh, inadequate why do i feel like i can't do things and and, and so you know, as the church is growing and as I found myself, uh, you know, kind of confronted with, with my own shortcomings, my own weaknesses, my own sin, I was like, this sucks. This sucks. And I did everything I could to try to get myself out of that. I, I tried, you know, reading different types of books, do, going to different types of programs, you know, doing different sort of ministry and doing all these things. And I realized what God was really after was not my success and my achievement. What he wanted to do was reveal to me that in my weakness that he is strong. That there's things that I cannot do on my own. That I can't meet with every single member of the church by myself, you know. Like I can't, I can't go around and, and and visit, do home visitations with everybody. It's it's impossible. The things that allowed me to be successful when the church was small in a church plan, it can't be replicated now. And I felt so powerless in that. But now recognizing that it is in my weakness that God is strong. That even in these moments of struggle and suffering is God revealing his beauty to me, it made me realize and understand how important that these circumstances are for a Christian. That it brings us to a better understanding of God's character, his love, and his grace. So by application, what are some of things that we can do? Um, number one, I think we must learn to receive and to be present in the lives of those that are suffering. Uh, this, is, this is difficult. You know, and I, and I think it's, it's, it can be awkward, right? But when, when we, you know, the type of community we want is that when people are going through difficult times and suffering and struggling, um, that we will be the type of people that will uh, force ourselves into being present with them. This is a, a lesson that it took me a while to learn because, um, you know, again, it, it's awkward being around people that are struggling, right? It, maybe it's just a selfishness in us, Right? Maybe it's 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 the awkwardness in us. But the moment you know that someone is going through a hard time, you kind of uh, stay away from them like like the like the plague, right? And, and the excuse we use is, oh, I just want to give them their space. I want to make sure that I'm not like you know offending them or or, or you know kind of intruding on them. Like let, let me give them their space. But that's not that's not how God operates at all, right? Here's I mean Jacob literally. This is exactly what you know. Like whenever people go through suffering, what do they do? They they isolate themselves right? And they go, oh, don't worry, I'm okay. You don't have to, you know, don't do anything, whatever, it's okay. And they isolate themselves. That's what Jacob did. He sent his family in two camps away, and he's like, I'm just here in the middle of the night in the darkness, and I'm just going to wallow in my my sorrows. And what does God do? Does God just go, hey, yo, Jacob, how's it going? You good? Or I'll pray for you. Okay? No. He starts wrestling this dude. He gets all up in his face. Again, if you've grappled before, there's no such thing as polite grappling. Like, there's no such thing as personal space there. Like, you're all up in each other, like sweating on each other, you know? Like, like you can smell what someone has eaten, you know, two days ago. You know, like, you, you know if they've washed their clothes or not. Like, it, it's so intimate. Here God comes in the midst of the pain and suffering that Jacob is going through, and he grabs a hold of him, and he wrestles with him. For us... And again, I, I, and I'm, I'm just kind of telling you how I react, right, when I say us. But, you know, like when you're in a small group setting or a community group setting and, and people are sharing and, and you feel like someone has overshared, you know, you go, like, ooh. And, and everyone just gets silent. It's like, all right, next. You know, and, like, and the other person's like, oh, yeah, uh, works hard. Uh, you, you know, like, because <laughs> like we, we, we have become so desensitized to pain and suffering in this world, everything is set up for our comfort, everything is set up for our leisure, that we no longer know how to react and respond to someone else who is struggling, who is in pain. And here's the thing, we don't have to have the right answers. We don't have to have the perfect thing to say. But it's important for us to be present. It's important for us to receive what they are sharing. And it can just simply be a simple simple thing as, I hear what you're sharing and I receive it. You know, it it, it sounds kind of bubbly and, you know, like, you know, weird and stuff, but that's all that's required. Let us be a people who are present in people, others' sufferings. Second, we also need to refrain from interpreting the suffering for others. Uh, What I mean by this is this. I I think it's, here's the thing. I completely believe that God places suffering in our lives because he wants to make us more like him, that is ultimately for our good, right? And the Bible is very clear. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Even bad situations are used for us, right? Elizabeth Elliot, he, the quote I said is very clear. But what is not required is for those that are not suffering to interpret suffering for someone who is going through it. Like hey, um, like hey, your family's sick. Well, let me tell you, it's because God is working in you, and he, you know what I mean? Like, that's the last thing someone wants to hear. Instead, just be present. I, I think we always, ha- we have this uh, desire or this understanding or this feeling that we have to have something to say to somebody who's going through struggles. No, we don't have to. Let them wrestle with God, but let them know that you are present with them. Let them, let them share their angst and, their, and their, their anger and their pain and their grief. And don't tell them the silver lining. Don't interpret through your lens what you think that God is trying to do in their life. Instead, let them know that whatever God is trying to do in your life, that I am here and I'm present for you. That I'm here to support you through it. And in the darkest moment of Jacob's life, what we see is that God reveals his ultimate grace. Everything that Jacob was longing for, the love of a father, is now actualized in his encounter with God. In his desire to, 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 to be the firstborn son, we see now that that ambition is gone because he knows that there is a greater firstborn son. I mean here's the thing Jacob he says himself I have seen the face of God and I did not die the Bible is very clear anyone that sees the face of God they will surely die how was it that Jacob was able to survive this encounter seeing the face of God because there was a mediator in between knowing that Jesus ultimately would enter into the darkness of the crucifixion the whole world was blacked out so that those that place their faith in him that we will receive a new name, that we will receive a, a new birthright, no longer as children of the devil, but the children of the, son of, uh, children of the God the Father. And it is in that that we see the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we're gonna continue on in this service with uh, the Lord's Supper.